Welcome into the Fog.net podcast, a special edition. I am joined by Nick Schwartz, Rock Chalk Sports Talk, KLWN. Over the summer, you probably remembered our Facebook Lives. We'll have those going again uh, once the season winds to a close. And who knows, maybe we'll have a special edition one of those too. But today, we are here to talk about... Let's, you. let's end the podcast now and do one of those. Uh, just so do a Facebook this, a, this is a 24-second podcast. It's basically serving as a promotion for the Facebook Live that we're about to record. A great advertisement. Well, as I mentioned, Nick Schwartz sitting across from me. Nick has been... Uh, so everyone has different responsibilities, right, in media. And obviously, you probably reading what I've, I've written on the website. Nick is not a writer. Obviously, he's in radio, but when you don't have a radio show, there's a lot, I feel like, a lot more time to really dive into the film, analytics, matchups, things like that. Nick, I thought this was going to go in a different direction. No, this was I a thought you were match. about to say Nick has been basically just sitting around twiddling his thumbs for the past No, I, I, I was going to give you credit because at this point, you have probably seen more film and, and watched more than just about anyone, I would say, on the beat. Uh, in terms of Auburn, and that is why I am excited and wanted to do a podcast talking to you. I think you can provide some pretty good insight. I would like to think that it goes Bruce Pearl, Bill Self, and then me in terms of people, yeah, who you know relevant people who are learned on on Auburn basketball. So yeah, I, I think it's safe to say you're <laughs> you're getting a huge haul by having me on the. Podcast. You're getting one of the top three. Very <laughs> difficult to book, by the way, especially you know. All right, anyway, we're we're gonna talk about five different topics today. I'll give you a rundown right off the top. Uh, we're gonna start start with Auburn's film. We'll, we'll talk about what Nick has seen, kind of watching them, and go through some of the things we're looking for uh, for Saturday's game. One thing Auburn must do if they're going to beat Kansas. One thing Kansas must do if the Jayhawks are going to beat Auburn. A little bit of talk on the bulletin board material that kind of came out today, and then some health updates. We'll get you out of here with the injury news. So uh, let's open it up. Start with start with film. You can go in any direction you would like. What jumps out? You know, when when you watch these clips, and and maybe tell the people a little bit of what all you've seen because you you have really seen a ton. Well, I, one thing I wanted to focus on was the things I think that you already know about Auburn. If you watch them at all in the SEC tournament, you know that they like to shoot a lot of threes. You know, they like to push the tempo. They like to get out and run in transition, and they play a very aggressive style of defense. And a lot of those things should probably scare you as a KU fan and probably mm-hmm. naturally do because they go hand-in-hand hand with some of the areas in where KU struggled this year, right? You get away from Allen Fieldhouse, KU has struggled with turnovers at times this year. They have struggled defending the three-point shot at times this year. And that seems like it would make Auburn a really scary matchup, which I think it does. Um, I, I started yesterday certain that, that KU had no shot of beating Auburn. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've probably softened my stance on that just a little bit because I want to start with what they do defensively. They are number one in the country in steal percentage. They're number one in the country in turnover percentage. They are number five in the country in block percentage. And that turnover percentage is forcing turnovers, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. They're basically what I mean. What West Virginia, what Press Virginia had done the previous two or three years before mm-hmm. this season. They're turning teams over about one out of every four times they bring the ball up the court, and that's really evident on film. It's not just that they are. Uh, really skilled defenders. They are, but they're really, really aggressive. They're going for steals. They want to be an opportunistic defense. I, I, I think the reason why I have perhaps slowed my, uh, my opinion that KU doesn't have a shot against Auburn is mostly because when you play an opportunistic defense, that means at times you're going to 
get yourself out of position. You get yourself out of position, you're going to leave guys open, you are going to be in positions where you have to recover, and a lot of times that's going to result in fouls and sending the other team to the foul line. And that, to me, is probably going to be the number one factor in tomorrow's game is can Kansas limit the turnovers? If they can limit the turnovers, they're going to find themselves in positions where they can score or guys like Devon and Diedrich can get to the free throw line. That, to me, is probably the biggest thing that has stood out to me watching Auburn when they turn teams over, the opponents do not have a shot. Yeah, so let's go into that West Virginia comparison that you just made because I think that's a good one. In years past... Kansas has dominated in terms of not necessarily winning all those games, but controlling the turnover battle. Even at West Virginia, Kansas has had games where that turnover margin has not been an issue whatsoever. Now, what's different, obviously, this year, as you've seen with a freshman backcourt, you have, obviously, Devon Dodson, Quentin Grimes. We don't know how much Marcus Garrett is going to be able to play to this point. Ochai Abaji is a freshman. Obviously, Diedrich Lawson is a veteran in his first tournament. David McCormick, also a freshman. So, you've got a very, very young, and maybe you could even call them inexperienced, especially for the tournament team. I don't know if it's necessarily the same situation where... Uh, In the past, you would probably feel good about Kansas going up against a team like this. Devontae Graham, Frank Mason, you would love your backcourt. And that isn't to say Devon Hudson's bad. He's been, I I mean, he was fantastic the other day. He also is dealing with a turned ankle. Uh, We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I'm curious to see how they react to this. Because what we've seen this year is when KU goes up against teams that do force turnovers like that, you know, Devon Dotson's had games where he's had, I think, up to, what, seven turnovers this season. They've had a number of guys. The big men have been credited. There have been there have been games where multiple big men have been credited with three-plus turnovers. These are things that Auburn will look to create from what you're saying and things that can't happen on Saturday. And Bill Self mentioned this at his press conference, and I think it's an important distinction to make. He said, we're going to turn the ball over. It's the live ball mm-hmm. turnovers that will kill you turnovers that immediately result in fast break opportunities because Auburn has the horses to run. They don't have a ton of size, yeah. but what they do have down low is it, when you look at uh, McLemore, uh, Okiki, who I think is the one guy, the big guy you're probably most scared of, and then even the guys coming off the bench, um, Dowdy, Dunbar, who's not really a big, Wiley's the only traditional big who you wouldn't really worry about in that regard, mm-hmm. uh, Purifoy, all those guys can get out and run, and most of them can shoot and create off the bounce, which means that if you do turn the ball over and you have those live ball turnovers, they're probably going to beat you down the court, and they're probably going to have numbers, and there's a good chance they're going to be looking for a three. Yeah, I was going to say, talk talk about this a little bit, because we've seen more and more college basketball, I mean, this was an NBA thing first, some teams in college basketball started, you know, know, not living on the pull-up and transition three, but to start the tournament, at least some of these early games, we're seeing not just the mid-majors, we're, we are seeing everyone take these threes in transition. Auburn seems like a team on film that takes a lot of pull-up threes in transition. What's so funny is you go back to the end of the Auburn-New Mexico State game, mm-hmm. and everybody, when New Mexico State drove for potential, I think it would have been a game-tying tying layup, mm-hmm. and they kick it out for an open three, and everybody thought, why would you give up the layup to go for the three? Auburn does that all the time, probably mm-hmm. more than any team in the country. They are looking to play aggressive, and it is kind of, you talk about like living or dying by the three, I think that's a mentality that they embrace. They say, we will die on that hill, and we will try and live and make our money there, and for the most part, they're able to do that. Yeah, and, and I will say this, uh, one thing I've discovered that's kind of interesting about Auburn is they can make shots and lose, which I think is kind of, in, it shows you how important the defensive side is. They're going to make is. shots no matter what. I, and you know? And it's kind of a similar deal to, it's almost like, 
I don't want to say Northeastern because obviously we saw KU had a great defensive game plan and, and really limited those. The Tigers have lost hitting 11 threes and only committing nine turnovers in a game. They've, they've hit as many as 16 threes in a single game and lost. They've had six losses where they hit 11 plus threes this season. So that tells you, first of all, that they're making a lot of threes. Yeah. Even in the losses, you can't just be like, oh, they only hit two threes that game or whatever. Northeastern, I think, had six. It's not like they're still losing games. It goes back to the defense. But I, but I think that... that Transition piece is so uh, important. I think just the three-point shooting as a whole. Think about the last two opponents KU has faced. Northeastern, which is a very three-point happy team. Iowa State, traditionally that way too. West Virginia took 22 threes against Kansas. Do you feel like Kansas, in terms of what they have been playing against, in any way can help them with what they will see? I don't... I mean, Iowa State is probably the best comparison... But I think I think Auburn has more talent than Iowa mm-hmm. State. I think when you look at those two guards in the backcourt between Harper and Brown, that's that's about as good of a backcourt as you're going to have in the country. And those guys are so aggressive, looking to score the ball. Harper will pull up from five, ten feet beyond the arc, like it's nothing. Both of those guys shoot a high volume of threes. I think it's Brown who is averaging over the past or in the month of March is averaging about ten three point attempts per game. They are going to look to score consistently. That's why I don't think that there's a good comparison because there's mm-hmm. there's nobody in the country, there's no backcourt in the country who has a greener light than what Auburn's backcourt does. So mm-hmm. there are comparisons, sure, but whatever comparison you want to make, Auburn is an amplified version of that. Yeah, and, and it, this is random, maybe even unrelated. It's still funny to look back at that Wofford game. Didn't Kansas win that one right. by like 20 well, I asked, Well, I asked Devon today. Mm-hmm. I asked him if there was any... With the way, with the aggressive nature at which they try to score and mm-hmm. get out and run and shoot threes, if there was anybody who compared to him, specifically Harper, because that's the point guard and Devon's probably going to be on him the whole game. Sure. And he said, uh, Fletcher McGee, and that's the only name he came up with, yeah. which is ironic because Fletcher McGee went 0 for 9 in that <laughs> game versus Kansas. I'm not predicting that sort of a game for Harper, but yeah. I guess if you're looking for a positive sign is that the best shooter in the country, Devon had to guard and basically shut him down. And also shut down, by the way, Marcus Howard. That was another one in that Marquette game. Let, let's move along here to one thing Auburn must do to defeat Kansas. So you've, you've given a few of them. What do you think is that top thing that if they don't do this, they're not going to they win? They have to turn KU over. Mm-hmm. They have to. I mean, I, it's kind of, I'm reiterating it. Um, the three-point, I don't, I, I pick that over the three-point opportunities because I think they kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. If you turn them over, you're going to get transition threes. Besides that, as you mentioned, Auburn's going to get their threes no matter what. The difference is going to be did you turn KU over nine times? Did you turn them over 16 times? That's the difference to me between a Kansas win and a Kansas loss. I'm going to agree with you exactly. I, I think what they do defensively, partly because they have they have that built-in kind of, they're going to hit five, six, seven, eight, nine, just by waking up. So now it's how many more do you hit beyond that? Can you get up to 15 threes? Can yeah. you get to 13, whatever? Uh, KU, though, we've seen offensively at times struggle uh, mightily. We've seen KU play games, whether, you know, not necessarily even talking about games like Texas Tech or Kansas State, where are going up against elite defensive teams, but where it just looks like a struggle to score. Maybe they get into the 70s, but you're watching that. You as a fan, anyone, uh, any of us in media, anyone, just like, how how is this offense resulting in points, especially when Diedrich Lawson is struggling? Uh, I think officiating can play a huge part in this game because if they're letting them play and Diedrich Lawson isn't getting foul calls, we've all seen what that looks like, and a lot of times he gets frustrated. But uh, at the same time, I, I do agree that it all goes hand-in-hand. Hand. Not even with that, just if they do turn KU over, even if they're not hitting threes, I mean, if they put up 80 points, how much confidence do you have in a KU team that, let's say, commits 20 turnovers oh, no to chance. have enough possessions to, to even get there? There's no chance. 
And I want to I want to make note of one thing with Auburn's defense. You would think a defense that's number one in turnover percentage, number one in steal percentage, number one in block or number five in block percentage would be an elite defense, but Auburn isn't. Their their field goal percentage defense is terrible. It's terrible. What does that tell you? And and, and watching them on film and and seeing where a lot of their turnovers come from, they are because they they're so fast. They are telegraphing passes, and a lot of times if they get one hand on the pass. It's basically a pick six, right? They're running the other way, and they're going to run past you, and they're going to get to the rim and score, or they're going to kick it out for an open three. So what that tells you is that they're going to get out of position a lot. When they gamble on a pass, when they gamble on a steal, and they don't get it, much as you would consider like a ball hawk safety, Mm -hmm. what happens when you don't get it? You're leaving the man wide open, and he's going to score with these. So there is opportunity to score against this Auburn defense. I don't want to paint them as if they are Virginia or Texas Tech. They're Mm -hmm. not. They're going to gamble a lot. Which means if you're not turning the ball over, I think another thing that would go hand in hand with that in the opposite direction, right? I say if you do turn it over, they're getting threes. The the flip side of that is if you're not turning it over, I think what goes hand in hand with that is you're going to get to the free throw line a lot. Because that's another thing you see a lot of in Auburn's losses is they're not just losing the free throw battle, but they're losing it by 15, 20 free throw attempts. Mm -hmm. I think that's another big key to the game. If KU can get to the line you know, 25, 30, 35 times, that's going to be a, a big coup for them. Well, and going on, you know, off of that, what's one thing KU must do to defeat Auburn? I, I would even take it a step further. Uh, free throws are going to be important. Possessions, I think, is the most important thing. KU has to win the battle of possessions that end in shots because KU is not a better offensive team than Auburn is. It's it just flat out, KU will, if both teams take 30 shots, Auburn scores more points on those 30 shots. But I think we've seen at times this year, I think Auburn had a game where they committed something like 25 turnovers in a contest and may, may have gotten blown out. Or they shot five for 25 on threes with 25 turnovers against NC State. Obviously, if that happens, yes, you are going to have a great shot to beat Auburn and, and advance to the Sweet 16. But this Auburn team is turnover prone. I believe they rank outside the top 150 in, in fewest turnovers, meaning they're giving it away more than, you know, probably half of college basketball. And when you get into the tournament, I mean, there are 32 teams left. There will be after uh, the games wrap up today. Obviously, that's not a great mark. So they're vulnerable and, and free throws too. You know, you can't plan for that, but Auburn is not an especially good free throw team. They're, I believe, 178th in the country, or at least entered the tournament at that in free throws. There's a reason they're a five seed. There's, there is a reason that even though they had won eight in a row entering the tournament, nine in a row now, there's a reason they're a five seed. But I think for KU, I, I do think possession specifically is most important. It doesn't matter how, but you cannot let them take as many shots as you do because if you do, they are a better offensive team and they're going to score more points. Yeah, and you, you look at their resume, nine losses on the season, two of them to Kentucky, mm-hmm. one to Duke, one to North Carolina. They only have one loss to a non-tournament team, and that was against South Carolina. But the, the And to LSU, a loss to LSU. Yeah, so that's five losses to all, you know, one seeds, two seeds, and three seeds. So it's a, it is really a, an impressive resume. And the SEC is not the SEC that I think we're used to seeing. It was, in my opinion, the second best conference in America yeah. this year. So um, they are they're a really scary opponent. And when they're executing their game plan, there's not a lot you can do. That's what makes them scary. But there's a high risk, high reward element that comes with that. And uh, if KU can minimize their own risks, mm-hmm. then I, I think that they're capable of beating them. But it's going to take a, a nearly perfect game. And one player, I think that I think we're both interested for different reasons, or maybe differently, seeing how he does is Diedrich Lawson. Diedrich Lawson was fantastic in his NCAA tournament debut. Obviously, he's carried, maybe not necessarily carried this team all year, but uh, he's obviously had some huge performances. I, I mean, 
think about the games in like Barclays Center or even the Michigan State game where, uh, what does he go, 6 of 20 from the field, something like that, but still gets a ton of shots at the line, still comes away with a crazy line like 2014-5, 2-2, I'm going off the top of my head. It might be one assist off of that. He might add six assists or something like that. But Dietrich Lawson in KU's biggest games, even Kentucky, even even the losses, it feels like he finds his way not just to get numbers, but to let you know, hey, I'm out here doing this. So I think one of the big things for KU will be who steps up in, in a complimentary role. I think you have some concerns, though, about the way Dietrich Lawson might match up with Auburn. Well, you just look at their bigs, and like I said, Austin Wiley is is six foot eleven, and he's really the only traditional five man that they have. But between uh, Chumo Kiki, Anthony Mclemore, and those are going to be the two starters. Mm-hmm. Okiki will be at the four. Mclemore will be at the five. Okiki's six eight, two thirty. Mclemore's six seven, two twenty. That's not a big daunting front line. And you look at the guys who are going to come in to spell them off the bench. Horace Spencer at 6'8", 225. Mm-hmm. Daniel Purifoy at 6'7", 230. That's their bigs. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like it would be very daunting. But what all those guys can do, with the exception of Spencer, is they can all shoot. Uh, you've got uh, Okiki, who's shooting 38% from three. Macklemore's at 33%. Purifoy's at 35%. And Spencer, even though he's not a shooter, super athletic, can create off the bounce. All of those guys can create off the bounce. That, to me, tells me that you're going to have to see Diedrich play basically his A game defensively. I have no question that Diedrich's going to be able to get his numbers. And if he's not, there's no point in us discussing it, right? Of course, yeah. If he doesn't get his numbers, KU's going to lose. They, you have to have your best player playing well offensively. I think we all know that at this point in the season with this team. But I think he's going to have to have an A game defensively because those guys are going to take him out to 20 feet from the basket. They're not only a threat to shoot, but they're a threat to create. And that's what makes them really dynamic and interesting. We've seen big guys who can shoot. Have, how many big guys have we seen KU go up against that can shoot and create off the bounce? Oh, and there's going to be multiple of yeah. them in at virtually all points in the game. That's what makes them a very, very unique team. And I also think it's what makes them comfortable, not necessarily, I would say, having you know attitude or whatever, but coming into this with a swagger, especially you know last year they were down to about seven guys when I'm pretty sure they got blown out by Clemson before they you know even would have faced off against KU. There were some quotes that went out today that I think caught you and me both, not necessarily off guard, but they grabbed your attention. They're uh-huh. not not necessarily bad. You, well, they were all from the same guy, right? They were uh, all from I, Bryce Brown. Well, no, there were actually, uh, I saw this one at least from Macklemore where he said, quote, I don't think Dietrich's ready for Chuma. Like, straight up, I don't think he's ready for him. You, there's the, the quote from Bryce Brown who said, I don't think so either. This is a quote, I really don't think so. Uh, he's just very mobile for his size, about the same size, or Diedrich is probably a little bit bigger weight-wise, kind of goes on to describe the matchup, but basically says that's where he is a little better than Diedrich, I feel like. He's specifically talking about court vision, passing, and, and feeling all that. It, it's very interesting to me that my impression, I don't know if you got the same impression, but my impression, both reading Auburn quotes, talking to Auburn players, and, and everything today, is that they feel like they have a lot of guys who are under-recruited, undervalued. They've got a couple of bigs who are actually recruited by Kansas. I talked to both of them and uh, they didn't really want to go into it all that much, which is obviously understandable. But uh, the impression I got from them is uh, they felt that not only them, but the the entire team is pretty much a, not necessarily a group of misfits. We're not talking about, you know, maybe the K-State core that was really under-recruited in some cases, but they feel like they didn't get the attention they deserve and they feel like now they're proving it to everyone. Yeah, so Bruce Pearl was talking about Javon McCormick, by the way, mm-hmm. who's the backup point guard. He had 16 points against New Mexico State, was the best player on the court. They had an empty scholarship in the summer and Bruce Pearl said today, I couldn't give it away. 
because nobody, everybody knew they weren't going to start over Harper or Bryce Brown. And they brought in this McCormick kid from New Orleans, and he said, I don't care, I'll come off the bench, I'll push these guys, I'll do whatever I have to do. It is a mentality I think they, they sort of embrace. And Bryce Brown was asked about it and talked about being unheralded, unheralded as well. Those guys made these comments, and before I criticize them or question them for making oh, them... Hold on, actually, because I want to jump in on something you said real quick, okay, and yeah. then not to interrupt your monologue, but specifically talking about Bryce Brown. I looked up Bryce Brown's 24-7 sports composite, and again, that's all the recruiting services. That's not just 24-7 sports. That is everyone Can kind I guess? of... Would you, do you have a guess on his recruiting ranking? Okay, so he was asked today about being... Un- under-recruited. Under-recruited. That, I was pulling that up when you were and saying he was it. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because you bring it up, yes. now I have to shift my answer. Yes. I'm going to say he was like 40th. 314th. Oh, I thought you were I thought you were hinting that it was ridiculous. Oh, no, no, no. Oh. This was a guy, 314th. He was the 79th ranked shooting guard in his class. The seven, I, I mean, look. Dude, he's one of the best scorers in the country. At, at the very least. I, I believe he started in the rankings or at one point. Uh, he was, I, I guess, in the 400s or something. I, I don't even know or... But but man, this was a, a he was a three star guy. But I mean, or the twenty four seven sports composite had him up in the three hundreds. At one point, he was in the four or the uh, excuse me, the top two twenty four seven. At one point, the composite had him in the four hundreds. I mean, this is a guy you talk about. Some guys are like I was under recruited, like an Ochai Abaji who jumps up into like the fringe one hundred range. Yes, he he too was also undervalued. Don't get me wrong. This is a guy who is ranked three hundred and fourteenth. So yeah, the chip on his shoulder is is absolutely legitimate. He's a guy who's made almost 400 threes in his career. He's a career 39% three-point shooter. He's leading him in scoring he's 15 8, point 8 a game. And, and he and he is even even when he's not in the half or in the open court, like he's going to look for his shots and he's going to hunt mm-hmm. and that's another matchup like Quentin Grimes I would imagine is going to spend a lot of time on him. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see all these matchups because Marcus Garrett, who you would assume would draw some kind of a tough assignment, and again, we'll get to this in a, in a little bit. But I, I mean, we don't we don't even know how much he's going to play at this point. But what were you what were you going to on Diedrich? So with the comments on Diedrich, and mm-hmm. I think your natural reaction is going to be, "You're sure you want to poke the bear? You yeah. sure you want to make this guy mad because he's one of the top players in the country? Top ten, probably undoubtedly." I will say this as to those comments: there might be, from Auburn's perspective. I, if I were an Auburn player, I would probably feel the exact same way. Mm-hmm. I would say, hey, we've seen this guy play. He's not that athletic. I mean, that's what Bryce Brown said today yep. at the press conference. He goes, he's not very athletic. And I don't think anybody who's watched KU would say that Diedrich Lawson is a great or an even plus or an even above average athlete. Mm-hmm. We know that's not what makes him great, but I think sure. that, that's that's a pretty undeniable fact at this point. Yeah. The when, quote, just to be, was, uh, quote, not very athletic, so I feel like we could take advantage of that. Right. Yeah, they might be able to. That's a that's a very fair I mean, comment. I mean, imagine this, and I and I've watched this. This is something else that stuck out to me with specifically Okiki and Macklemore. They're going to run some pick and pop sort of stuff. You'd imagine if KU's playing small, which I expect them to do a lot of, maybe exclusively, you're going to be switching, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to be doing a lot of switching. Diedrich's going to have to constantly be aware and they're going to have to communicate and execute that defensive game plan as flawlessly as they did against Northeastern. If he's closing out on a guy like Okiki or Macklemore and he's closing out hard, do you worry about those guys at 6'7 with their athleticism being able to run right around him? Get a pump fake, he closes out and all of a sudden they're running past him for 
an uncontested layup or dunk at the rim. Like that, that to me, if you, if you are painting a scenario where KU loses tomorrow, that's something I think you would probably see a lot of. I'm not saying it's going to happen, mm-hmm. but I mean, it, it will happen some. Like Dietrich's going to get scored on tomorrow. There's a there's a fine line though between what you can live with and what's the difference between a win and a loss. Yeah, and I think we saw this with David McCormick. I mean, I made a prediction to you before the last game uh, that David McCormick would not play five minutes against. No, North you Eastern. said he'll either play. What was he'll it? either was play it? under five or over twenty five. Yeah, like it was, he got right. pulled at like sixteen thirty eight uh, or something. Yeah, no, he got he got pulled two minutes and ten seconds was into it? the game. <laughs> like Bill Self was like, "No, nah, we ain't doing this." But but the difference is, I was anticipating Northeastern hitting more threes, so they were able to put him back in. I think he played ten minutes. This is again, it's because it's like you said, you're now dealing with a team. And for the record, David McCormick is pretty good in terms of mobility, getting out, hedging on the perimeter, and getting back. The problem you run into, especially if they're in their kind of 32 base look, where they're they're going to be switching three guards and two bigs, which I don't think you can do against Auburn. You've got a lot of moving parts and pieces and things you have to worry about. I wonder if this isn't just a game where you say, first of all, KJ Lawson, you're going to need to play a lot. You better play really well, and also. I don't know necessarily what they will do defensively if there is even something they can throw at them. I doubt you will see a 3-2 zone. I'm just going to say, I I highly doubt you'll see any kind of a specialized look designed to take that away just because of, typically, you know, like if you would triangle into a team or box and one a team, you're doing that because they don't have enough shooters to make you pay for doing that. And I don't think this is a team you can at all do that against. So maybe Bill Self comes up with some look that they haven't seen. Uh, I think he's certainly a very, you know, a great coach, good enough to do it. That being said, I'm just interested kind of at some of the same things because KU offensively has to be good enough for whatever they're in to, you know, deal with the losses defensively. If they have two bigs in, they better be scoring inside. They better be hammering them, especially on that offensive glass. If they've got one, then it needs to be sound defensively because we've seen this team struggle going, you know, one big, especially when it's Marcus Garrett at the four. If they go two bigs, it'll have to be Mitch. Mm -hmm. I I just cannot envision, unless Austin Wiley's in the game, because again... And he's a little banged up. I I think Brandon Marcello, our our Auburn guy, was telling me that. He's the only traditional five they have. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other the other guy, and I'm blanking on his name, the, the backup power forward uh, for them, uh, Spencer. He's not a shooter either, but he's athletic and he can create off the bounce. So Wiley's the only guy who David, you would probably feel comfortable sure. putting him on. And Wiley's a guy who is going to give you maybe 10 to 15 minutes a game. So if he plays for 10 minutes, maybe you can have David out there for those stretches of time, but he's not going to start the game. So if, if you start David like you have the past month or so, wouldn't shock me two minutes he's pulled. Yeah, away. because you're immediately going to have him on a guy who can shoot threes. Yeah, whether it, whether it's and, and we I some the game I saw I want to say it was maybe against Alabama. The first two plays of the game were a pick and pop for Anthony Mclemore, and he hit two threes in the first minute of the game. If David is asked to be pulled away, which again, if Bruce Pearl is expecting him to start the game. I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever if he's like, let's exploit that right from the get-go and try and get a couple easy looks. And, and worth noting, too, Auburn only has two 40% three-point shooters, so maybe you think, you know, you don't have to worry whatever. Uh, I mean, think about Quentin Grimes is probably a good example of this. Dedrick Lawson might be another. At a, at a certain point, it becomes like a mix of percentage and volume, right? So like Macklemore you mentioned. Macklemore's only shooting 32.7% from three on the season. Okay. 
He's also taken over a hundred threes, though. So it's it's like you ran into this with Northeastern, where they had a couple guys who were shooting like forty six percent or forty five percent or something. But it's like, well, they've only taken like forty threes, or they're they're thirteen of thirty, you know, two or something. Where it's like, yeah, they made a high percentage, but those are probably the most wide open of wide open looks in a non pressure situation because the volume is so limited. These are guys who have taken three times as many. If you've taken 100 threes to this point, you're taking three a game. That, that means you're making at least one a game, and I think any shooter at this level who averages three a game is capable of hitting five in a game, is capable of going off, knocking in a couple in a row, regardless of percentage. Dedrick Lawson or Charlie Moore is probably the prime example of this. What's Charlie Moore shooting from three this year? Like 15%? Yeah, it's pretty bad. 20%? He had a game where he hit six threes. I'm not saying you can specifically design a defense to account for that, but you're dealing with some really, really good shooters. I did see a couple people saying, well, hold on. These guys, their percentages aren't great. They don't have all these 40% three-point shooters. That That is true, yes, but, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. All the, It's can you make it or can you not make it? Are you going to get open threes? Cave's defense has given up open threes all season. I mean, they, they let Texas, I think, hit 13 threes on them in Allen Fieldhouse. This is what KU's defense is, so that's why I think it's in part so interesting. Yeah, and the three best shooters are going to be Brown and Harper mm-hmm. and then Okiki. And Okiki has been lights out shooting the ball as of late. Those three guys are probably going to combine for 20 attempts. At least. Yeah. At least. Those three guys are going to combine for 20 attempts. And if they hit... From three. From three. Right. Yeah. And if they hit eight or nine of them, that's a huge success for Auburn. You know the attempts are going to be there. Um, you just got to make life as hard on them as possible. And I think the, the onus on that is going to come down uh, to whoever's guarding them, which I think for the most part is going to be uh, Devon and Quentin. Frame of reference for Bryce Brown. Svi hit 110 threes last year, if I'm not mistaken, 110 or 115. Uh, that's at the all-time single-season KU three-point record. Brown has hit 124 this year. I mean, I mean 124. He's taken 310. Harper has taken 241. They have, let, let's count it up, one, two, three, four, five. They have six guys that by the end of tomorrow's game will have attempted 100 threes on the year. But yeah, it, I don't, I don't, look, at the, I don't look at the percentages at all. Like, this, is a, this is as dangerous of a three-point shooting team as you have in the country outside of Wofford, maybe. Do you know how many active players on KU have taken 100 threes? They might have six after Active? Tomorrow. Active. So Vic, is who has, is not, not on that list. Two? One. Quentin? Quentin Grimes. Who, by the way, has... You know, largely recovered. His three-point percentage is 34%, which isn't great. It was 36 a couple games ago. That's about average. Yeah, it's fine. For, especially for college. The, the, 34, the nation fine. average is 34.4%. Yeah. Devon, his number's down to 36. Diedrich's number is up to 38. But, I mean, Diedrich was shooting, I think he's shooting 46% since the end of whatever slump he had to start the year. All goes to show you, you get up percentages different ways. Devon Dotson was shooting 45% from three. He's now down to 36%. I... I think you have less confidence in him shooting than Diedrich, even though they're at, what, two percentage points different? Yeah, something else to note on that note. Mm-hmm. Devon and Quentin went two for ten from three mm-hmm. against Northeastern. I don't think that's sustainable in a winning effort against Auburn. Yeah, no, they have to shoot better. Uh, I, Quentin specifically, I thought uh, everyone in that game, maybe except for one player, did something well, did something well enough, You know, whether it was assist, defense, rebounding, anything like that. Uh, you can't. It, this is a game where one of your five starters, if he's going to play thirty plus minutes, can't go one for six from the field. It, it, you've got to find ways to contribute beyond that and, and more with scoring. I think this is also a good uh, chance to segue into what's going on in terms of why he may be even more important. Devon's dealing with a, uh, a turned ankle. I talked to him about it after the game. 
yesterday, and he said it was fine. He came back in the game. He hobbled to the locker room. I had kind of thought he was over it, but then he was, like, skipping to keep uh, the weight off his foot. I asked him. He, he said it was fine, but even again today, he had his shoe on one foot, his right foot, didn't put the shoe on the left foot as if he was, like, just kind of let it breathe and, and air it out, whatever. He said he got treatment. He's put some ice on it. His health, I, I mean, he's got to be. He, he's got to play a great game no matter what for the and, and, chance. He's quick, but so is Harper. Mm-hmm. Like, that guy is extremely fast, and so you need Devon to be as close to 100%. You can't force it. Uh, but Bill, when asked about it in the little media scrum, I don't think he, he almost knew was, about like, it. surprised. I don't think he knew about it. That was the impression I got. I don't know this for fact. I don't think he realized that, like, Devon Dotson was still... I don't think he did. Yeah. He looked like he was like, wait, what? Devon's injured? Devon's hurt? Like, news to me. Because someone asked, like, how much of a concern is it? And he was like, oh, yeah, it's uh, somewhat of a concern. But And he did say, he's like, yeah, guys, he rolled his ankle, whatever. But, like, I I think we'll we'll have to see what he looks like and if he's still able to explode off it and all those things. Well, he came back in and looked fine. Sure. I think so, too. And, again, I wasn't even thinking about it other than when I saw him walk into the locker room. You know, I was in the tunnel, kind of where the team was coming off the court, and he's, like, skipping to keep weight off it. And I was like, well, hold on a sec. Like, let's check in. Devon says it's fine, although he's not a guy that's going right. to complain about Most his bumps of them and bruises. Yeah. And, you know, the funniest part is that he needs to be, he needs to be, you know, really good for KU. Like, on both ends of the court, he mm-hmm. has to lock down Harper, and he has to hit shots, and he has to make good decisions, and he can't turn the ball over. Yeah. Transition especially. Cannot make mistakes. And you can say he looked fine when he came back in with the ankle against Northeastern, but this is, the athleticism of Auburn is going to be on another planet from what you saw Mm -hmm. uh, yesterday. Well, when are you listening to this? Yeah. Against Northeastern. (laughs) Definitely. And it also might not mean as much defensively if you had a guy like Marcus Garrett at 100%. Marcus Garrett was not in KU's locker room today, which is Friday. Marcus Garrett's sick. We don't know what he's dealing with. It was kind of described as flu-like symptoms. They're hopeful it's not the flu. Uh, and Bill Self said, you know, he's back at the hotel, he'll get rest, he'll get, you know, a bunch of fluids, whatever, and I believe there's an NCAA rule, this may be incorrect, but I believe, uh, I'm almost certain, that you can actually get an IV at, like, halftime of games especially, so that may be something they look into, they may do it before the game, whatever, uh, just to make sure that he isn't cramping or things like that. Marcus Garrett's a guy that if you just give him the film study, he is so smart that I'm guessing this will not be a huge effect on him, but I think physically, I asked him about his ankle after the last game. I caught him off to the side, and he told me the ankle's feeling good, better every day. I would forget about that for now. I thought he played really well last game. The illness part of it, I, I am... is massive. Especially because, again, not to harp on this, the altitude here, everything's a little bit different. I mean, you're talking about Auburn, which has played six games in ten days or something like that, starting with, you know, going into the last game. They'll get a day off, whatever, and, and uh, there's going to be a good story up by the time you're listening to this on auburn.247sports.com about just, like, all the players napping and, like, just resting to get off their feet because they're exhausted. I mean, Marcus Garrett is trying to recover from whatever this is, potentially play through illness, still got a little bit of a bruised ankle. Oh, yeah, by the way, the altitude altitude is going to make it a little bit, you know, harder to get some oxygen. Well, Marcus Garrett is as, as important of a player to this team in this game mm-hmm. as I think anybody because... If you know they're going to play small, who's going to guard Okiki? It has to be Marcus Garrett. Now, maybe, maybe somebody like Mitch or KJ will come in and show that they have the athleticism and the defensive aptitude to keep up with him, and and mostly that means staying in front of him. Yeah. I don't know that to be the case. We'll see, but we've seen both of those guys have some lapses. I think Mitch is a better defender down low, near the rim. Okiki's somebody who is a threat from every area of the court, Marcus seems like the perfect guy to put on him. And we've seen Marcus do that so many times. A guy will have 
20, 30 pounds on him. A guy will have two or three inches on him, but he is the best bet that KU has because he's one of the most versatile defenders in the country. If he is not at 100% and if he is hamstringed with some sort of illness, I think that is a, a major, major advantage for Auburn because then all of a sudden those mismatch advantages get highlighted even more. Yeah, I, I think whatever alignment of players KU can even throw at them, healthy, what whatnot. I mean, the suppl- the supplementary guys in this game, your Quentin Grimes. I, I wouldn't even say Charlie Moore at this point because I, I think at this point you can't expect anything you would get out of him would just have to be a bonus. But but your Quentin Grimes, your Mitch Lightfoots, whoever the one big is when Diedrich goes to the bench, your KJ Lawsons, even your Marcus Garrett to an extent, those guys all have to kind of be on and together and good enough to... You, you can't have a game, this is not the game where, oh, Devon and Diedrich will carry you to the finish line. You're going to need a lot of guys to step up. That That's kind of my parting thought on this one. I, I think Kansas can win. I, I'm not sure what I will pick yet. I, I think I've gone back and forth. It was interesting talking to, just hearing the Auburn side, players are confident. I think there's legitimate concerns about how much do they even have in the tank. I, I think Auburn will, will be a team that if they win this game, they are scary moving forward because now they get another week off, they get to rest, and they'll have won 10 games in a row, including winning the SEC tournament. Didn't they beat Tennessee by like 20? And then, you know, beating Kansas. They made 53s in the SEC tournament. In, in four games. So, four games in four days. So, I, I think at that point, they would be on a roll that I think even North Carolina would... I might even pick them to beat North Carolina at that point. But this is kind of the game where it's like, well, if someone's going to really shut them down, they've played a bunch of games in not a lot of time. That my kind of part, parting thought on this is that this is where you have to jump on them. Well, you, you, we were talking earlier today, and you said that KU was the more talented team, and I said, are they? And you said... They star four McDonald's All-Americans. And I go, that's a good point. <laughs> and you, you're right there. But as we're, we're sitting here recording this in the middle of the Duke-North uh, North Dakota, Dakota State, State game, game, and I think Duke is the perfect antithesis of what Kansas is. Not that Duke's really good and Kansas is really bad, but that Duke doesn't run a lot of sophisticated offense. They don't execute extremely well at all times. That's putting it lightly on both fronts. But their margin for error mm-hmm. is as wide as the Gulf of Mexico because they make up for it with athleticism mm-hmm. and length and talent and skill and yada, yada, yada. Kansas has the talent and the skill. They don't have the margin for error. Yeah, They have to play an A++++ game. Are they capable of it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But the mental lapses can't be there. You can't turn the ball over 15, 16 times. You will lose. You can't go 3 for 18 from three-point range. You will lose. can't have a five-minute stretch without a bucket. You can't have have a five-minute stretch where you give up two or three threes and Auburn all of a sudden starts to catch fire. They will pour it in in a hurry. You have to play a complete game. They're capable of doing it but there's no margin for error in this game against Auburn. Yeah, I would agree with that to an extent. I, I think it's just a, a case where Kansas has had so many lapses, not even not scoring, not even whatever. Like, think back to Arizona State. That was on in the media room, the, the KU-Arizona State game. The last, I want to say, six, seven, eight... Which was really weird, by the way. Very Why random. is that game on? No one could... There was really no good reason, but uh, the last... I, I can't remember what it was. I think it was the last eight minutes of that game that Diedrich Lawson did not register a field goal attempt. And at first, I think Grimes tried to throw it to him and it got knocked away. And I think maybe Dotson tried to throw it to him once. And then they almost forgot about him. It's like even that 
you you can't have those stretches. You need to get to the line. You need to force them to commit turnovers. Don't be afraid to foul them, too. If Mitch Lightfoot and David McCormick are in, they should be hammering their big men. They have big men who don't shoot free throws all that great. You look at the percentages, that should not scare you at all. Put them on the line over and over. What you can't do... I, I mean, transition opportunity is a perfect example. If you have a two-on-one coming at you, wrap up, take the foul, send the guy to the line, even if you're in the double bonus. Don't chance it with the three-pointer, because... Odds are, based off their percentages, one for two at the line is a lot worse than a 50% shooter getting a chance at the three. I will say this, though. I I think the formula, like if you were trying mm-hmm. to imagine what a Kansas win looks like, I think it starts with limiting your turnovers, limiting your live ball turnovers. That, I think, in turn will lead to another thing you have to do, which is getting to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Because if you're if you're limiting the live ball turnovers, I do think there's an opportunity for Diedrich to have one of those games where he gets to the line 14, 15 times. Yeah. We've seen him do that a handful of times this year. Uh, and I think you have to play your A-plus game defensively. Mm-hmm. Qu- Quentin Grimes, Devon Dotson have to be on high alert mm-hmm. at all times. Diedrich has to play maybe the best defensive game of his career. Yeah, he's, he's capable of doing it. He is an alpha male. And by the way, he just got called out today. Yeah, He just got called out by several players on the Auburn front. I'd imagine somebody is going to make him aware of that. Yeah. We don't see Diedrich show a lot of emotion sometimes, but he knows what's on the line. I mean, how do you play against Tennessee? Had one of the best games of the season. Right. And you heard Bill Self say today, you know, this is probably his last NCAA tournament opportunity. Yeah. I think he understands the urgency of the moment. Now, all of a sudden, you've got an All-American who's being called out by the opposing team saying our bigs are better than him. It's objectively false. Yeah. Now, there might be things that they can take advantage of. Sure. There's not a big on Auburn's roster that is better than Diedrich There's not Watson. a player on Auburn's roster that's no. better than Diedrich Watson. No, he will be the best player in the game tomorrow, but he has to be the best player in the game tomorrow. I, I think that's really well put, and I think it's a good place to uh, to leave off here. So thanks, Nick, for joining me from, uh, what, what is the name of this hotel? Let's give him some pub. Uh, we are at the RL Hotel, the Red Lion Hotel. Okay. Which is kind of any majestic re- sounding. Any relation to the bar on Mass Street? Is that still there? Yeah, it's still there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Same owner. <laughs> wow. And he owns two businesses. He owns a hotel in Salt Lake City and a bar in Lawrence. Yeah, and if you've actually made it this far, you deserve this story. We almost died getting here. You want to tell it? We did? Yeah, the Uber driver. Well, we just almost slammed into the front of a car, in the back <laughs> of a car, because the guy changed lanes at the last second in the middle of an intersection. And I said to the guy, thank you for helping us avoid disaster we have a podcast to record. And he said, oh, are you Nick Schwert and Scott Chasen mm. of Rock Chuck Sports Talk and 24-7 Sports? And we said, we are. And he said, I look forward to listening to the podcast. I'm a big fan. Unbelievable. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.